Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day. Before I begin, I'd like to thank, uh, especially thank the worship team for uh, leading us in worship, uh, not only this Sunday, but each and every Sunday. Um, The significance and power of music is amazing. I think we can all attest to how it takes us and leads us uh, closer to the Lord. And so I'm grateful for the time and preparation that our music team, as well as everyone, puts into making Sundays very extra special. One of the many things that our family appreciates uh, about attending Unionville is the multi-generational influence and impact um, that is here. And I think we've been witnessing that here today. Seeing our, uh, our, young, our youth involved uh, certainly brings back memories for me as one who has grown up into the church. And, uh, you know, giving announcements, I thought, what am I doing? I'm just, you know, 10 years old, what am I doing? But I tell you, all of those experiences are worth it. They build into your life. They strengthen you. They give you courage. They give you confidence. So thank you, Unionville and the leadership for uh, your focus on multi-generational ministry. It's a delight to be able to be with you here today. And again, my name is Wes, and uh, our family has been attending Unionville for almost, almost two years now. And it's a delight uh, to, be, uh, to be here and to be with you today. So again, a very happy Father's Day to all of you. And um, I recognize today uh, can be a day of, uh, of joy. It can be a day of honor. But it also can be a day maybe of, of, uh, of, uh, of sadness as well. Because maybe there are those in, in, in your mind or in your heart or those, uh, a father or a father figure um, in, in your life that um, is not with you this particular year or maybe has passed on in other years. But they remain with us. They remain with us. So I hope today that um, the message here that God has laid upon my heart uh, would not only comfort those who are fathers, those who are, will be future fathers, but also comfort those whose God is our heavenly father. And that would be a, a, a wonderful truth today. Last week, Pastor Daniel's message about waiting for and anticipating the return of Christ, he challenged us to examine ways over the next 10 years, so again, um, 2033, that we as a church can make a difference for the gospel of Christ within our world. Not only did he challenge us as a church, but he also challenged us as individual followers of Christ. And Pastor Daniel mentioned as a starting point, he asked us to start to consider ways to tell others our own story of God's goodness in your life. That comment, it really resonated with me. You see, much of my daily work, much of my daily calling is in the healthcare field, 
in the, in the area of spiritual care. And much of my work centers around story. The narrative of people's lives. Each and every one of us has a story. It's unique just as our fingerprint. In my, in my, in my case, I have the privilege of hearing stories of a geriatric population, but even younger. Stories of lives of people who have known moments of joy, moments of laughter, moments of bravery, moments of duty, stories of courage, stories of unspeakable pain and death, stories of suffering, stories of people breaking barriers in their lives, stories of just sheer human will, stories of love, stories of compassion, unfairness, stories of injustice where someone does not think, how can I ever move forward? I'm stuck. And what do you do when you're stuck? Stories of people who are vulnerable. Gratitude and stories of thanksgiving. I could go on and on. But the story, the story of the legacy of my late father, for my father passed away in um, October of 2021. My father played a major part in helping to nurture God's goodness within my own life. And what I'm about to share here today is obviously it's personal, but it may not necessarily be your story. And my story might be different than yours. And I say this with every grace and out of every respect. So today we'd like to look at the parable of the prodigal son. And this is a well-known parable. And when Pastor Daniel approached me to consider uh, speaking today, I, I, I said yes. And over the weeks and months, this story kept continuing to come to mind. And I know as a church family we have explored this parable uh, over the last number of months. So I hope today that what I'm sharing with you and those of you who are watching online as well, that you would begin to see the story of the prodigal son with fresh eyes today. Scholars and theologians mention how the story of the lost son, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, that Jacob read for us, is perhaps one of the most familiar and enduring of Jesus' many parables. Now, this is not the start of the parable series. I understand uh, starting next week and in the summertime, you're going to be having the parables of Christ. But this morning, I would like for us to focus on the parable from the perspective of the Father, highlighting the enthusiasm by which the Father welcomes unconditionally the return of his wayward son. And as we do, I will reflect on just a few principles. I, there's three that, that are there. 
that I believe the parable teaches, and there's probably, there are many, many more, that help to reveal the heart and unconditional love of God for us, for his church, as our heavenly father, our divine heavenly father. I am a big proponent of context. <laughs> All right. I am a big proponent of context. I, sometimes I get frustrated when things are, you know, are taken out of context or there's just a snippet of something that, um, you know, it's just like, where did you get that from? But I love context. It has been drilled into me. So I'd like to provide a little bit of context of Luke 15 and just some general observations Luke's gospel contains narratives and sayings of Jesus organized into various literary structures. And I would encourage anyone, when you have the t to read a book of the Bible or read a gospel or a book of the Bible from one chapter right to the end of the chapter. Read it without necessarily highlighting anything. Just read it through. You begin to see where the author is going. You begin to feel the tone. You begin to see the order and there's a structure there that God himself has fashioned that has put together. But one of these literary structures that Luke uses is the use of parables. So then, begs the question, what then is a parable? Quite simply, Walter Elwell says parables are an earthly story with a heavenly message. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly message. And the parables of Christ are taken and told from the world Jesus lived in for the purposes of communicating a spiritual truth. Communicating what the kingdom of God is like. And the kingdom that has come down from heaven to dwell among us. Mark records Jesus' frequent use of parables in his public ministry. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So in Jesus' public ministry, he would often speak with these stories or in these parables. And later on, when the disciples were when he was with the disciples, either uh, you know, alone or, or, or in a different context, he would try to interpret those parables for them. But woven throughout the book of Luke, we start to see a larger picture that emerges, whereby Jesus is found reaching out to the lost in forgiveness. Luke vividly portrays Jesus' interests in those who society would say are outcasts, those who would be unclean, those who are unholy, those who are poor, those who are despised, those who are rejected, tax collectors, the lowest of the low, sinners, so he portrays Jesus' heart, the passion for those who are outside 
of the kingdom of God. But Luke reveals, but in contrast with this, Jesus also talks about the attitude of the grumbling Pharisees, who in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, all right, we see them starting to grumble and complain. But Jesus, Jesus identifies himself with his heavenly Father in rejoicing over the return of those who are lost. One scholar commented that Jesus could, was the only one who could tell these parables. <laughs> he is the only one who could tell these parables, especially the parable of the lost son. Because as he was telling the story about the father and the two sons, he was actually telling about himself as the father. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, as we have been learning, as we have been studying the work of Christ over these months, John's gospel says that Jesus is the way to the father. Jesus replied to Philip and Thomas and other disciples, Look, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still, don't know, you still do not know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? These words I speak parables are not my own but my father who lives in me does his work through me philip thomas disciples of christ just believe that i am in the father and the father is in me just believe it sounds simple the other day I had an interaction with someone, and an elderly person. And I just said to him, I, you know, I just commented. I said, boy, I said, you know, you're, you're looking fantastic today. You're looking really, really well. And, you know, his mood was good. He was chipper. And I said, what's, what's contributing to your good mood today? What's making you feel so happy? And he just said to me, because I believe Childlike faith. Because I believe. Full stop. But in Luke 15, Jesus responds to those agitated Pharisees and those scribes, the keepers of ritual, the keepers of law, that he openly welcomes, that Jesus would consider openly welcome and attracting sinners and tax collectors. Jesus began to tell the Pharisees in response to their agitation, listen, I've got some things to say to you. I'm going to, so he begins to say three parables. That's why Luke 15 is called, all right, the parable of the lost things. Those of you who are going for ordination need to know that. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and obviously the last one of the three parables is the lost son. But it's different. It was the main parable Jesus uses to 
address the disdainful attitude of the religious leaders. In the parable that we are reflecting upon this Father's Day, the parable of the prodigal son, we're going to discover the readiness of the waiting father's heart to receive back not only his younger wayward son during the lowest and darkest time of his life, but we will also discover a seeking father who searches for his older resentful son who is trying to push his father away, push himself away from the love of the father that he was under and that he enjoyed. But in each instance, the heart of the father shows up. What else do we discover about the father in this parable? At the beginning of the parable that Jacob read for us, we are introduced to the notion that the younger son is somehow restless. We're not told what it is. Jesus doesn't explain that. But there's some discontent that is taking place within this young man's heart. He's not at peace. There is a sense to be autonomous. Let me take my share of the wealth, and I'm just going to go and set out. I want to be autonomous from the household of my father, from my family, from my brother, to my servants. Something is drawing this younger son away, pulling him away from his father. The son was being drawn away from the known and the familiar. That's an important distinction, I believe. Because when unwanted things come into our lives, things that come beyond our control or things that we may seek, then what we find there may not necessarily be fulfilling. It's because we're drawn away from what is known and what is familiar. So Jesus grounds us and brings us back to what is known and what is familiar in our lives because there is comfort. As hurtful as this conversation might have been, the father does not try to stop the younger son. Nowhere do we see, well, son, hold on a second, just wait. No, 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 before you, don't go, don't go. The father gave his son over to his request. He gave him over to it. Maybe aware of the, 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 the choices or the decisions that he may be making, I don't know. But he gave him over to his request. I see in that example, free will. Sometimes what it means to love someone deeply is to be able to let them go. I'll say that again. Sometimes what it means to love to love someone deeply 
is to be able to let them go. As a parent, I understand that now. I understand it's not always easy to let your, you know, to let your kids go. But I do that with the understanding that God is with them. That God is sovereign over all. And will continue to watch over them. One of the other principles that we see, the first principle that we see in this parable from the father's perspective is to see a father who honors. A, fa- a father who honors. The principle whereby we seek to honor another person is so important. Working in healthcare, colleagues and my, myself and my colleagues, we... Um, we have the privilege every nursing week, every nursing week, and we've done this for a number of years now, where we honor the hands of nurses. We honor the hands of nurses. And it is really quite a powerful experience. We pour water over their hands. We have a, a pitcher of water, a, a pitcher of water, They take their hands. There's a little basin. And this is no pressure. You can come. No pressure at all. With their hands open, we honor their hands by giving thanks for the work that their hands do. The tiredness, the aching that their hands have known. Maybe the the pain that they have known with the hands of, of a nurse. And it's amazing to see and to witness the responses and the reaction. And sometimes a response is, you know, I've been in this profession for X number of years. And I have never had someone do this for me. I've never had someone give thanks for my hands. We see Christ washing the feet of his disciples. But we also, it's important to honor the hands and the work that they do. That's why to honor another person is so important. I see within the parable a father who chooses to willingly honor both of his sons from his heart. In the parable, the context of the separate conversation between the father and his younger son, and later with his older son, It's almost like there's two different things happening. The father sought to honor them both. Welcome home. Welcome home. Dad, I'm out of here. I don't even want to be in the house of my brother. Away from the father's house. What's the response of the father? He honored them by not discrediting them. He honored them by not shaming them. That's a lesson I need to remember. I think that we would all agree that the father could have responded differently in both instances, but did not. I think the father in this example shows incredible love and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit (laughs) must have been upon that father. The father 
honor the return of the younger son by the fact that he didn't deepen the woundedness further. He was already broken. He was already humiliated. He was already completely empty. He was spiritually, emotionally, economically depleted in every way. So there's a picture of just complete and utter brokenness. The father didn't say, oh, I knew you wouldn't make it on your own. Oh my goodness, you're such a loser. I know you wouldn't have made it on your own. I knew you wouldn't have lasted in that city where, wherever you went. You know what? You really messed up this time. You really messed up. Do you realize, and I don't even think you do, do you realize the shame that you brought on our family? Do you realize that our family now is the laughing stock of the region? What? You want me to forgive you? You want me to forgive you? How dare you ask me to forgive you? Where's my money? No. No. The father did not respond that way. The love the father held for his son's return, his turnaround was so powerful. What a homecoming that must have been. The, false, the father also honored the older brother who has faithfully, who has served him faithfully. We get a picture of this older brother, the older son being devout, being loyal, being steadfast, being on point, never asking his father for anything, being reliable and dutiful. He did not respond to this son when he wouldn't come in the house, when he, wouldn't, when he wanted to move away as well. He didn't respond with a rebuke. He didn't respond with blame or shaming or guilt. Don't you dare talk to me that way. I'm your dad. How dare you talk to me that way? Don't you disrespect me by those words. You don't even know. I don't even think you even have what it takes to go through what your younger brother went through. He's been away for X number of a period of time. He's hurting. You couldn't even have lasted. Don't you tell me that. Don't disrespect me. Now who is selfish? Now look who's only thinking about themselves. Human way of responding. In the father's interactions with his two sons... The reaction of the father is consistent. Love for the other. The honor and humility of a caring father toward both of his hurting sons is on full display. And the point I'd like to make is I fully believe that when we choose to honor someone else, we build a bridge within the life of that individual. I believe that when we choose to honor someone else, maybe even someone we don't even know, we build a bridge within the life of that individual. And I think I see a bridge-building principle here. And that's something that my own father did incredibly well. And that has been taught and reinforced in my life over and over and over again. The relational impact of building a bridge 
can never be initially known. I would much rather build a bridge. What's the opposite of that? Burn them. <laughs> Destroy them. And I think, in, I think just generally in our world today, I see a lot of bridges being just destroyed. But the relational impact of bridge building can never be initially known. In the parable, the father sought to foster relationships with his two sons by building bridges because the father understood the bigger picture. He understood what was at stake. As I mentioned, my father was, that was his, that was his, uh, one of his prayers that he, would, that he would be a bridge builder with anyone, anyone that he would come into contact with. And certainly since his passing, uh, it's been a delight. <laughs> it's been a delight to be able to hear the stories from other people of how the influence and the impact uh, that my dad had upon their lives. And I just, I, I, I receive it. I receive it. It's like I'm getting to know my dad in a different way, but all over again through the stories of other people. One gentleman, said, one gentleman spoke to me a number of years ago, and he said, you know, I, 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 I was in church one day, and a, a, relative or a, a relative of mine came, and I was embarrassed by what they were wearing. <laughs> I was embarrassed. I thought, oh, what are you doing wearing that? You're going to, you're going to church. What are you doing dressed that, that way? And he told my father that. My father's response was, at least he's in church. <laughs> at least they are in church. That is what matters. How we treat and respect one another matter to God, our Heavenly Father. And as a church, as a body of Christ, our relationship with the Father and with one another as brothers and sisters, because we are a part of God's family, because of our, our common faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians says that very clearly, that we are united, we are related spiritually because of the work of Christ. We are like a family. And how we treat one another matters to our Heavenly Father because it's our witness to the world. It's our witness to the world. Because God as our Heavenly Father sees the bigger picture in our lives too. How we deliberate, how we make decisions, how we treat each other is so, so important. God is ultimately concerned with the condition of our spiritual well-being, the condition of and health of our spiritual lives. And this is the heartbeat of the Father. Our second principle we see is a Father who celebrates. In chapters 20 to 24, we have the picture of a celebration. Bring the finest robe, put it on my son, get a ring, sandals for his feet, we have to kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate with a feast because this son of mine who I thought was dead is now alive. 
There's breath. There's breath. We've been singing about it this morning. There is breath. And the father spoke life into his son, gave him breath for welcoming him the way he did and celebrating him. In the parable, one of the first responses of the father is enthusiasm, leading to a full-on celebration. Yes, it's true, there are many sports teams now that are celebrating, all right? And we see them probably all over the news or our social media where there are sporting teams that have celebrated a major, major um, uh, achievement or a championship, and it is like a full-on party. I'm not comparing this to that. But we can see. We can see how the world celebrates. But this was a different type of celebration. The father ran to meet his son, which was probably uncharacteristic of culturally at that time. The son embraced him, or the father embraced him. He welcomed him. He was filled with compassion. And he gave him a kiss. As I was, as I was reflecting on this, this uh, over the past while, he kissed him. Where else in Scripture, in the New Testament, do you see a kiss that wasn't meant as welcome, that was meant as betrayal? Judas, the one I kiss is the one you are to arrest. Isn't scripture wonderful? You see this parallel. This would not be a kiss of betrayal. It would be a kiss of acceptance, a kiss of forgiveness. Commentator Howard Marshall points out that the robe the son received was a ceremonial one, such as a guest of honor would receive. The rings signified authority, and the sandals were something worn by someone who was free. The son was free. The fattened calf. Three times the parable that Jesus mentions in, the, in his story, the fattened calf. When things are repeated three, four, five times, they're important. You see, those in first century Palestine did not regularly eat meat. And it was a way of saying this is so significant that we are going to kill the fattened calf. I think of, in our, and maybe in our own lives, where we want to wait for a special occasion. What do we do? <laughs> we might wait maybe for... To, uh, you know, there's a certain a vintage of, uh, of wine, for example, that, oh, yeah, I'm going to use this to celebrate. It's 30 years old or it's tw 10 years old, whatever it is. Wow, you got the fattened calf? Man, how did you deserve that? You don't deserve it. What we learn is within the nature and character of God the Father to celebrate and rejoice whenever we return to him. We need to understand the spiritual significance of this. That all of heaven rejoices. In one of the earlier parables in Luke 15, there is joy in the presence of angels when one sinner repents. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one who returns to the Father. 
there is something happening that we cannot see. So if the angels rejoice as spiritual beings, we are to, we are to rejoice along with them because it matters. It matters being reunited with the Father. And the third principle we see is a father who forgives and a father who loves. Relational wholeness matters to the father. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned both against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Jesus is pointing out here the activity or the actions of the older son. He His actions were so egregious that even heaven witnessed it. Even heaven witnessed it. So I'm no longer worthy. But we see in the younger son a confession. There's a confession. Humility, being contrite. Quite the opposite from his earlier brash entitled attitude. Over the past number of months as a church, and and as you know, we've been looking at this series and we've been looking at Christ, his resurrection and beyond. Pastor Daniel and others, uh, members of our staff, of the staff, have done a wonderful job at going back to basics to understand who Jesus is and his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness and his work on the cross. So with this in mind, As Christian people, we look at life through the cross of Jesus Christ. As Christian people, we look through life at the cross, through the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of brokenness, the cross of suffering, the cross of new life, the cross of hope, the cross of questions, the cross of betrayal, the cross of salvation, the cross of love, the cross of reconciliation and the cross of forgiveness. It's so important. And the church, I think, needs to continue to play a role in that. I must have been about 11 or 12 at the time, maybe 13, but um, my dad and I were working on a bike. It was a 10-speed bike, secondhand. My dad and I painted it. We worked together on it. You know, we, we repaired it, and it was like brand new. Brand new. It was a, I'm dating myself here, okay? It's a 10-speed, all right? All right, it's a 10-speed. But we worked hard on it. That was kind of one of my earlier 10-speed bikes. And we worked hard on it, very proud of it. So one night... I was out bike riding with a friend. And, um, you know, it was starting to get late. And yes, when the, yes, when, <laughs> when the street lights come on, Wes, you are to be home. That was the rule. <laughs> yep. When the street lights come on, you know it's time to circle back and get home. So I was riding with my friend and, uh, you know, the street lights were on. And I was so enjoying my new bike. 
I just wanted to stay out. So I went back, I went back home and I got off my bike and I, I think my mother was, I, you know, I opened the door. I said, Mom, I said, I want, I'm just going to be out a little bit longer. I'm going to go one more time around the block and then I'll be in. I thought I heard yes. <laughs> I thought I heard yes. To this day, I thought I heard yes. Well, I went, went out with my bike, harmless, harmless. I went out for a bike ride. We went another round, uh, another couple times, I think, around our block. And about that time, it was much darker. And then, so I pulled down the street in front of our house. Right? And then I see my father on the front porch. Not only do I see him, but I was greeted by a father who was standing on the porch, calling me to come into the house now, immediately. Immediately. Get in the house right now. It was a moment where I experienced an anger from my dad in a way that I had not known prior to that point in my life. To this day, it still stands out. It stood out because it was so uncharacteristic of my dad's personality, of our relationship. And at that point, I had not experienced an angry father to that degree. I'm not saying I was sheltered, but it was so stark. I went inside. I could, my heart was pounding. I put my bike in the garage. I'll get back to that in a second. Put my bike in the garage, went in, and then Dad sat me down on the couch <laughs> and just went into, you could see he was angry. He was seething that I went against my, it went that my own mother said you could do this. Well, I was told, I thought she said yes. So I was coming up with every reason I thought. But the fact is, I kind of violated the rule of, you know, you come in, didn't stay out. But my dad was angry. So I went upstairs and went to bed, tried to get to sleep. The following day, the following day, I think it was probably sometime later in the morning, my dad talked to me again. This time, the tone was different. He asked, for his forgive he asked me to forgive him. He was out of line, went too far. His anger got a hold of him, got the better of him. So he confessed to me that he was wrong. As 11, 12-year-old kid, 13-year-old kid, that was an impactful moment. I was impressionable. That was an impactful moment for me as a young kid. And he asked me to forgive him, which I did. And later on, in the years later, my dad would often reflect on that, as I am right now. And if my dad were physically here with you, he'd probably say that that was a low point in his walk with Christ. That was a low point for him because of the hurt that his anger created. In this example, my dad is a parent and follower of Christ. He understood the bigger picture. In that moment of forgiveness, 
He put a high value on a relationship between father and son, between a parent-child. And in this situation, my dad modeled his belief in forgiveness and love. The words of my dad and the actions of my dad joined. They joined. So dads, father figures, parents, single moms, mentors, actions and words need to be consistent. Because if they're not, then the potential to create much harm exists, unspeakable harm. My dad was wise to foster our relationship, meant between us as father and son. He was mindful not to sacrifice its future by making the situation worse. My dad taught me to keep short accounts. Matthew 18, keep short accounts. And that's what I see the father doing here with his two sons trying to keep short accounts. Little did I know of the generational impact that perspective apologizing to me, seeking his forgiveness would have on my own relationships and the relationships with my own children to keep short accounts. I'm not a perfect dad. Don't claim to be. You can, ask, you can ask my family. Not perfect at all. But I do believe that when I have hurt someone in my family, even if it's just what I think is something small, I do my best to make sure that that is, that is addressed so it doesn't fester. Our last point is this. I'm going to invite the worship team up. As the father waits for his children to come to him, at the same time the father is also active. One who searches for us to return to him and waits for us to return to him. It's within the nature and character and sovereignty of God to do both, to wait and search. And while I'm searching, I'm also waiting. As followers of Jesus Christ, we serve a heavenly Father who not only searches to draw people unto himself, but a heavenly Father who honors us as we are, celebrates when we return to him, a Father who not only loved us into this life, but promises to love us into the next and a, prom, and a father who promises to forgive us when we stumble. Some points just to, to conclude our ser service today. Throughout this story of the prodigal son, the lost son, throughout your life, how have you experienced the father's heart? How have you experienced that?
Share that story with somebody. Share it. Tell it. What is the greatest hindrance to your returning to the Father? We can, and only you know, only you know what that could be. So I would encourage you, encourage you to return to the Father whose arms are wide open because he wants to celebrate with you. And how might the Father be eagerly waiting for your return home? Visualize that. <laughs> Visualize that. Hold on to it. Amen.